Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the pulpit of the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. Who was Luke? History tells us that Luke was an investigative historian, one who searched out the people who personally knew Jesus. As one of the earliest Gospels, Luke presents a compelling argument for the existence of Jesus, and proof of his claims to be both God and man, the blameless Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In this third installment in the series, The Gospel of Luke, A Journey with Jesus, entitled, Blessed, Not Perfect, Pastor Justin tells us about Mary, chosen by the diving will of God, to be the mother of our Lord Jesus. He reminds us that we all have a mission assigned to us, one specifically designed to capitalize on the gifts He has given us. Speaking of signs, let's open up our Bibles today to Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading about a a rather momentous sign today. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let's rise as we hear God's word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary answered the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is an unspeakable treasure to be able to open up and hear your words relayed to us. Your truth. These stories of, of grace and of power and of majesty and the way that you work in this world. And I pray that even though these are familiar stories to us by now, that they would become no less amazing, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understanding the truth and the way that you shape our lives today through them. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. I was technically on vacation last week, a vacation that we didn't leave our house, but a vacation nonetheless. It's really weird coming back. That re-entry day is always uh, just kind of surreal. I don't know if you've ever gone away for vacation and you come back and your house is messy or you find that maybe there's been a leak somewhere or something bad's gone on and you're just like, oh, this is the last thing I need. I always try to really clean my house as good as possible before we leave so that we can come back and it's just spotless. But that doesn't often happen. There, in 1928, there's a guy who left a doctor who left his house 
for a rather long vacation, about a month or so, and he came back. His name was Alexander Fleming. And he came back to his house, and he found out that he had left one of his experiments on the counter. And it had kind of grown out of control. And he, you know, he went almost to throw it out, and he looked in this Petri dish, and he said he noticed something really interesting. That there was this bacteria that he was growing in the, the Petri dish, but suddenly there was also this mold that was in there. And it looked, he said he looked at it, and it was like the mold was pushing away the bacteria. And so he studied it a bit more, and he realized that there was some incredible benefits to a mold that could fight bacteria. And this ended up becoming the drug known as penicillin. Almost an accident, right? Out of the blue. Unless, of course, you believe in a sovereign hand that's on all things. I, just, I, I find it fascinating, the idea that this guy came home one day, had no idea this would be the day that defined his life. This would be his legacy. And it was almost to him this weird little messy accident that ended up being something that impacted millions, if not billions, of people in the decades to come. I like that he embraced that change and didn't just throw it out in the trash. Almost 2,000 years earlier, there was a girl who woke up and didn't realize that this would be the day that would change everything for her life. She would have never imagined by the time she went to bed that night, she would become pregnant with the son of the most holy God and blessed with this incredible responsibility to not only give birth to him, but to raise God in her house. Grace is kind of like that, isn't it? We never see it coming. But when it hits us, it changes everything in a flash. Grace bowls us over, and every day after that, and as we revisit this really familiar account of the angelic visitation of Mary, we can identify there's a template at work here that is also at work in our life. The encounter of grace that hits your life and transforms everything about you in a flash. So Luke, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Luke was talking about to one woman, to Elizabeth, and now he's shifting his focus to another woman. And he brings this level of detailed attention that we hopefully have come to expect from him. The details that he gives in verses 26 and 27. He's giving us who, what, when, where, from who, to whom, so that you understand all of the context about everything that's about to take place. And it's here that we meet an engaged couple named Mary and Joseph. When they had engagements back then, they were rather long affairs, at least well over a year. And all we know is that they, they're engaged... And other than Joseph being one of the many, many descendants of King David, we know almost nothing about these people. They're, they're not, nobody of significance. And they also live nowhere of note. Again, it's kind of weird to hear the, the name Nazareth, and we go, well, of course, Nazareth, that's where Jesus grew up. But back then, it was a nowhere place. It was a nothing. It's about as far away from the glamour of Jerusalem and the beauty of the temple as was possible to get. In fact, Nazareth was so obscure of a town that we had no other evidence that it even existed until, get this, 1963, outside of the Bible, when they finally found another written work that happened to mention Nazareth. And so they had outside of the Bible proof that Nazareth, yes, did indeed exist. Because Nazareth was rather a seedy backwater burg that was only notable because it was between two port towns. 
And that also meant that it was kind of overrun with Romans and Gentiles at the time. It wasn't a strictly Jewish city. It was just kind of a, a messy little burg. And if it was known for anything, it was for being the kind of place that you did not want to go outside after dark. In John chapter 1, when the future apostle Nathaniel hears that Jesus was from Nazareth, he famously says, Nazareth, can anything good come from out of that place? It, was not, it did not have the best reputation. And if the town was obscure, Mary herself was, she was kind of a nobody. She really was. She was young. She was illiterate. She was a peasant girl. And she knew exactly how her life was going to be. She was going to get married. She was going to raise a family. And she was going to die in obscurity. History would not remember who she was. She was just going to live a quiet, peaceful, hopefully peaceful life and that would be it. But we have a God who sees nobodies. We have a God who picks nobodies. We have a God who chooses to use nobodies in his service. And when a nobody turns around and suddenly finds out that you've been chosen by God, even though nobody else is looking at you, God is, it bowls you over. That's what grace is. It's a day that changes your life. Now, some of you probably grew up in the Catholic tradition or you have a lot of experience, and you know that in the Catholic Church, they have built Mary up to be an icon, larger-than-life figure, nearly as perfect of a human being as somebody could possibly get who's not named Jesus. Supposedly, according to the Catholic Church, Mary never sinned after she conceived of Jesus. And that's, a, that's what they call the Immaculate Conception. And the assumption here is that God only picks winners. That God looked around the whole world and saw this one girl and said, this is the best of the best. She has the best faith, the best life, and I'm going to choose her to be the mother of Jesus. But you can only really believe that sort of approach if you don't read the Bible, because that's not the Bible I have. The Bible I own is full of God picking losers and nobodies. It's full of it. So here's the thing most pastors don't like to say at Christmas time. I'm going to say it, and I might have a few of you chucking some things at my head. It's okay. I'm fast. I'll, I'll be nimble. But here, here I'm going to say something that would get me drummed out of every Catholic church in town. Mary was a sinner. She was a sinner in the eyes of God. She sinned just like the rest of us. And how do we know that? That's why when the angel appears to her and tells her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you, Mary's response is not to feel validated. She's not like a princess who goes, finally, I'm being recognized. I'm the chosen one. Of course, somebody recognizes me for who I am. What's her response? She's greatly troubled at those words. Why is she greatly troubled? She knows she doesn't deserve to be favored by God. None of us do. She doesn't deserve it. She has not done anything to merit God being for her instead of against her. So she, she hears these words and she goes, I don't deserve that. In fact, she's so scared at the presence of a holy messenger that the angel has to say a second time, God favors you, don't be afraid. Grace does not arrive to sinless people who are crossing their arms and tapping their foot and going to God, what took you so long? I'm amazing. 
Of course you are going to come to me. Grace bowls over sinners, slams into people who never in a million years would expect that God would see them and God would favor them. If anything, if God saw me as a sinner, God should come in his wrath and his justice to deal with me as I deserve. Grace is so astonishing because it is unexpected and it is delightful when it happens. Mary is absolutely blessed here. She is blessed with the favor of the Almighty and the presence of the Almighty. She's blessed, but she is not perfect. We need to understand that. That's a really important distinction for us to make because guess what? We who are saved are also blessed, but not perfect. And that helps us understand this woman even more. We must never assume God chooses us because we are worthy of being chosen. That we have found favor with God in any way, shape, or form is at the core of grace, unmerited favor given to us, not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. It's a reason to rejoice instead of to fear. Grace is God calling us away from our sin and calling us toward a purpose that is rooted in him. I'm sure a lot of us have read the book, The Giving Tree. For some people, it's your favorite book of all time. Some people go, oh, that book is so overrated. Uh, in any case, you know the story of a tree who loved a little boy and did whatever it could to help this little boy in its life. So the tree kept giving, gave it of its shade and of its fruit, gave it its wood to make a boat and a house for the kid. Apparently it was a really big tree, a boat and a house for one tree. It's pretty impressive. But we're told over and over again in the book that as the tree fulfilled its purpose by helping the boy, it was happy. Fulfilling your purpose made you happy. Now we may think, a lot of people may think they know their purpose in life outside of Christ. Billions and billions of people live and die thinking that they, have, they know their purpose. Their purpose is to make themselves happy or to grow rich or to have children or leave behind some sort of legacy. But when grace hits you, it upends what you ever thought your purpose was to give you your real purpose in life. Whatever Mary thought her purpose in life was before this day, before the day the angel came to her, Gabriel arrives to tell her, nope, that wasn't your purpose. Your purpose is that God has a unique, special mission that only you are selected to achieve. That she alone, out of the Lord's good pleasure, was chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. Her mission is to bear the child, give birth to him, name him Jesus, and raise the most important person who ever lived. That's a tall order. I think we've heard these words so often we don't realize that would be like a, a ton of bricks just crashing down on your head. Here is your purpose in life, only to do the most important thing that you've ever heard anybody ever do. Raise God as a kid. I can't imagine that. Gabriel even then tells her on top of this that the child would fulfill the covenant promise that had been given to the people in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That this child would grow up to be the eternal king over an eternal kingdom. The Jews had been waiting for this their whole life and Mary was going to see this, this covenant promise fulfilled under her own roof. How cool, how amazing, how surreal would that be? We, too, have a purpose. We have a mission. 
Ephesians 2.10 says that each one of us has a mission to accomplish that was created by Christ Jesus before we were ever born. And this mission may have many stages. It may be that you serve God in one way for part of your life and in another way for the rest of your life, and you'll have different seasons and different, different stages of your mission, but you have a purpose to live for him eternally. And we're pursuing that purpose that grace provides. Mary's mission changed over the course of her life, too. It was different as she went, got older. She, uh, she started this ministry as her, his mother, but later we know from the text that she also became a disciple of Jesus. And we know that part of her mission, she was told in advance and became fulfilled at the moment of Jesus' death, that when he was on the cross, part of Mary's mission was to have her soul pierced in grief at seeing her son crucified. That's not an easy mission to have. Having a mission and a purpose from God isn't always the easiest thing. Sometimes God will be putting something on your plate that will be immensely difficult. It will require so much from you. And you might be tempted to be like Jonah, who hears his purpose and his mission and flees the other way as fast as he can. Or you can be a Mary and say, I don't have a clue how I'm going to do this. But I trust that you'll give me what I need. That you'll give me the tools. And that's the thing God does. He gives you the tools which you need to be able to fulfill your mission. He puts you in just the right place at just the right time in your life. You think it's a coincidence that you're here today? That you're hearing the gospel? That you live in Buffalo? You might think that these are just random acts that happen, but a divine hand has been guiding you your whole life. Divine hand has been giving you the exact experiences you need, even the hard ones, even the ones that gave you grief, so that you could turn around and fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. And whatever the specifics of your mission is, the general directive is the same for all Christians. We are to love God above all else. We are to love others as ourselves, and we are to bring the gospel to those who have not heard it. We will all be fulfilling this in different ways, but we are to do that mission. Mary was called to love God and to love others and to bring this gospel of grace into her own family. How are we going to do the same? So when Gabriel tells Mary, <clears throat> sorry, this awesome mission, she meditates upon it, and then she asks a question. She says, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And to that, the angel explains that the Holy Spirit and the Father will use their power to miraculously conceive the Son in her womb. You see the Trinity coming together, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in this, this act of the Incarnation? Baha, some of you say, who paid attention two weeks ago. And you're raising a, a finger going, but, but Zechariah questioned the angel too. And he got punished for it. Is there a, is there a double standard at play? Mary questions the angel. Why, why does she get off scot-free? And Zechariah ends up mute for nine months. What's going on here? I used to think when I was a kid that women had it so easy. I don't know. I was always going, they get the doors open for them, and they get to go first in line. I told my mom this. My mom was like, "Hun, let me explain childbirth to you for a few minutes. <laughs> there is, if there's a double standard at play, it's the other way around. So you just need to be quiet and learn to be quiet about that in your life. 
So is this a double standard? No, it's not. It's not a double standard at all. Zechariah wasn't punished because he raised his hand in class and asked questions. God does not mind if you ask him questions. He wants you to. He was punished because he doubted the word of God. God gave him his assurances, his word, and Zechariah turns around, kind of demands a sign in that moment. He says, how can I be sure that this will happen? How can I be sure? You've only given me your word, so how can I be sure? But Mary, on the other hand, when the angel tells her this, is, this amazing miracle is going to happen in your life, she asks for elaboration, but she also trusts that God's word is true when she says, how will this happen? She already assumes it will. She just wants to know how. How will it happen? Grace astonishes us with God's favor and God's mission for us, but sometimes we have questions. And sometimes we have a lot of questions, don't we? Like, why us? Why would you pick a sinner like me? How are you going to use me? How am I going to do this? What if I don't do a good job? What if you chose the wrong person? How am I going to accomplish this mission? Ask those questions of God. But read the scriptures for the answers. Read the scriptures to know that God gives you the grace to accomplish exactly what he needs you to do. Of course, you could say no. Mary had the option to say no. I, I, we shouldn't ignore that. The angel could have come to her and said, you know, God's going to do this, and she could have just gone, no, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I would rather live my life the way I was already going. Because remember, she pauses here, and I guarantee you in this pause, as she meditates on what the angel just said, she's thinking about how this is going to impact her life. Becoming pregnant as a virgin, nobody's going to believe that. Everybody's going to think she, had, she got pregnant out of wedlock. Joseph probably is going to divorce her. You can get divorced out of a Jewish engagement. She's probably going to get exiled from her family. She'll become destitute, pregnant with a child that she won't be able to support. These things are running through her mind. This is what's at stake here. She hasn't read ahead in the Gospel of Luke. She has no idea how this is going to turn out. All she has is her trust in God. That if God gives her a mission, God will also give her the grace to accomplish the mission. And even if all turns out well, she was still a sinner who, as a sinful mom, had to raise up the incarnate Christ in her own home. How do you become a mom to a kid who's going to be more perfect than you'll ever be? I can't imagine. If Mary was a sinner like us, how does she trust? She trusts because she had the faith that grace provides. This is the last, most crucial tool that God gives you to accomplish your mission. God doesn't just pick you out of your sin, give you a mission, and say, well, good luck. God picks you out of your sin, gives you a mission, and says, now I'm going to give you what you need. And the biggest thing you need is the faith to believe that what I say will come true that I will be there for you, that my promises are true. Both Zechariah and Mary, both of them, are given that faith. They both arrive at the same place in the end. They deeply trust the word of God, that God accomplishes what he sets his mind to do. But it's just that it took Zechariah nine more months than it did Mary to get to that point. Insert whatever you want to say about men and our stubbornness there. I don't care. But I thought it was really interesting that we have two people 
One who's a priest, who's brought up to know the scriptures, who's literate, who knows faith, knows theology, and now we have an illiterate 14-year-old girl who hasn't been trained that way, and yet her faith is almost instantaneous, and his takes a while to come. This girl shows up a priest when she bows her head in submission, and she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. May it be fulfilled. I want to see this promise happen. And the power of the Most High, the scripture said, overshadowed her. And the Holy Spirit came into her, and she was with child that day. Time after time in the Bible, grace enters the lives of nobodies. And those nobodies stand up and answer the call of God. And every time I get chills when I see it in scripture. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Ruth said, your people will be my people, your God, my God. Esther declared, if I perish, I perish. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Responses to grace showing up and saying, will you let God work in your life? Are you ready to answer the call? When grace shows up at your door, what will you say? Will you be like Zechariah who hems and haws and procrastinates and doubts and needs signs? Or will you be like Mary who had no idea what was going to happen but has had the courage to be both scared and brave when she agreed to becoming the mother of Jesus? She had a lot to teach us in this moment about grace and about how we approach God. I know it's scary when God puts this on your plate. It's scary for me too. But we can say, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that it would be a more comfortable life if we did not have this grace, this challenge, our Christian walk. We just focus on ourselves. We could make ourselves happy and comfortable. And yet it would be all for nothing. It would be an empty life be a life without you. So Lord, we thank you for this challenge. We thank you that you have wrapped us up in your ministry. That you have invited us to come and to partake of your work of the Great Commission. Help us to be bold, even in our fear. Help us to answer with all faith, yes, Lord, I believe in your promises. I believe in your word. I believe you will come again. I believe you will save my soul. I believe you will draw me to you. I I believe that you will use my life to glorify you in your name. Help us to believe, Lord, because sometimes our faith is so weak that we need you. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can listen to other sermons on our website at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com or send a text to our prayer hotline at 833-240-1824, that number to text prayer requests to again is 833-240-1824. Please include the word pray in your request. You may write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found at youtube.com forward slash at Noxied PC. Thank you again for joining us.